0: Good morning, church. Hello, everyone. Um, look, to be honest, I've never seen Kelvin panic so bad. He, he wasn't sure. So, surprise, uh, I'll be giving the sermon this morning, um, but I could just see Kelvin. He's just like, what am I going to pull, pull a rabbit out of my hat? I'm going to have to do the sermon as well. Uh, but no, Sam is... Uh, he married... Chantel and Ethan yesterday, so that's where he is. So I have the privilege of opening God's Word for us this morning, and I count it an absolute blessing. But haven't we been on quite the roller coaster ride of emotions over the last few weeks, working through these last few chapters of John? Uh, we've seen the uh, the trial of Jesus, his crucifixion, his death, his burial. And today, we get to have a look at His resurrection. And and if you've been tracking with us uh, through this John series, because we're actually drawing to a close, there's not that many weeks left and we'll actually be finished, John. But if you've been tracking with us, you will know fully by now that John is pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And... John sums up his book in this chapter in verse 30 and 31 in chapter 20, and it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the purpose. And I want to say that's a fact. And, and just believe it, guys. That's a fact. You just need to believe it, all right? It's really easy to say, believe it. But the reality is that throughout history, there has been this historical global wrestle between belief and unbelief. And so, we're going to continue that wrestle today. It's run through the course of history and right through until this very hour, the wrestle continues. Because the reality is there are things in this world, there are things within yourself individually that govern what you are actually going to believe. And I got a really cool illustration this morning. And I'm going to use physics, right? So, if I said to you guys, what goes up must come down. Wow, that's great. So, what goes up must come down. And you're like, that's not hard to believe, is it? because you can see it with your own eyes. It's happening. Look at that. But if I just took it another step further and and told you that that is actually, the power at work there is actually gravity. That's gravity. Look at gravity go. Look at it. It's bringing the ball back down. Now, you can't actually see gravity, can you? I'm just telling you it's gravity. But but you are got to choose to believe whether that is in fact gravity or not, bringing that down. You can't see it, but you've got to believe that that's the case. And so then if I go another step further, right, and look, if if you're not sitting down, I suggest you grab a seat because this is going to do your head in, right? So if you, total hypothetical, if you were born and raised, you spent your whole life on the International Space Station, and somebody said to you, what goes up? What, what goes up? Yeah, I'm not really tracking with you. What goes up? What is actually up? You know? So how on earth are you going to possibly convince somebody of gravity? Somebody that has never seen gravity or experienced gravity before? And so it's going to come down to somebody else's experience of it. It's going to help in the process of understanding. And so you're just going to have to explain it to them. You're going to have to take them through the textbooks and show them how gravity exists. And and even better than your explanation is somebody else's explanation and somebody else's. And you can have 5, 10, 15, 500 examples and testimonies of gravity. But at the end of the day, that person might just still say, well, that's fine, I'm I'm happy to believe what you say, I'm happy to accept that gravity is a thing, but I tell you what, it's not going to have any effect on my life at all. I'm happy to accept it, that's fine, that's great, but it's not going to change the way I live my life. And so I want to say, belief, without transformative change, it doesn't have an impact on your life, is in fact a form of unbelief. So let's pray together before we actually get into the text. And and if you genuinely come here this morning seeking to understand God's Word and who Jesus is and why Jesus is, pray with me this morning from your own heart's desire to understand. Let's pray. Father God, we, we need to humbly come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you that your Word leads us and guides us The testimonies in this book, Lord, help us to see the reality of of who you are and what you are. Lord, give us eyes to see the truth of who you are without physically seeing your body, Lord Jesus. Help us to see our need for you. Help us to see that you are the Son of God. Help us to see that we can have life In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Righto. So, this morning, chapter 20, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And right off the bat, I just want to say, for those of us who are in Christ, it is such a joy and blessing to know that we serve a risen Saviour. He's alive. That's the difference between Christianity and religion. We serve a living God, not a dead one. So this morning, I'm going to get uh, James Marsman. He is going to read us the entire chapter this morning. And Lord willing, through this uh, continuation of the testimonies of the disciples, you yourself would start to begin to see Uh, have the ability to see and understand the transforming impact of the effects of a risen Lord Jesus. Uh, Sorry, before we... I just saw another paragraph, sorry. Um, Before we read it, look, can we just actually get back to, I guess, the place where we're at? And can we actually try to appreciate the level of emotion Um. The the grief, the the level of grief, the loss, the heartbreak, the sorrow, the, the guilt and the shame that the disciples would have been feeling at this very point in time. Over the last 72 plus hours, the followers of Jesus had witnessed their beloved brother, their son, their teacher, and their Lord executed and murdered so that's where we're at and you could imagine maybe the level of guilt and shame that they felt because they in fact had abandoned him in the time leading up Uh, so with that I'll hand over to James thank you
1: let's read the entire chapter of John 20 on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away... Tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced When they saw him, they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even through the door, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name.
0: Thank you, James. Right, so Jesus has been dead, if we go right back to the beginning, Jesus has been dead, his body placed in the tomb on Thursday afternoon, and here we are three days later on the first day of the week being Sunday, which that span of time is our Easter holidays where we celebrate the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord every year. And so Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, the reality is Mary didn't actually go to the tomb by herself. We see in the other Gospels that there was a a total of six definite people named, ladies named. There could have been more, who knows? But she didn't go alone. And that makes sense because it would be quite foolish for a a single lady to go in the dark to to the burial grounds. um, So, a group of them went together. So, these women were the first to see that the tomb was in fact open. It was no longer sealed. And I want to suggest and say that this is actually our first example of unbelief. They, they, they believe that the thing is open for sure, but, but why unbelief? Well, because their first logical explanation that pops into their mind is... They have taken our Lord, they've stolen him, they've taken him away and we don't know where they have put him, opposed to the fact that they should have gone, praise the Lord, he has risen. So now we have Peter and and the other disciple whom we understand to be most likely John, the author of this book. These two guys running like the wind to see for themselves if this is true. Could it be just a case of that the women in their state of grief and the early hours, the darkness of the early hours of the morning, they, maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. But the reality is again, we see this same level of unbelief in Peter and John. Because they, upon Mary's arrival and her explanation of what they've seen, they too didn't say, praise the Lord Mary. Let your heart be be glad for the Lord has risen. He's alive. We don't have to be sad any longer. He lives. But no, the teachings of Jesus up until this point The knowledge imparted while they spent their time with Jesus hasn't been enough for them to believe that Jesus has done what he said he would do. We also see unbelief in Thomas down in verse 24, where he just refuses to believe. I'm not going to, I don't care what you try to tell me, I'm not going to believe until I actually poke the holes in his hand, then I'll believe. It's this same pattern over and over and over again in the book of John that we see this unbelief, this lack of understanding of the truth. And that is the same pattern that we see in the world today, isn't it? From verse 5 to 10, so we see the arrival of these two men, Peter and John, And the novelty of this portion of Scripture is that seemingly John has etched into the eternal Word of God a bit of smack talk. I beat you, brother. I got there first. I won the race. But it's not that at all. I think here we actually see John building into his testimony a level of of accountability credibility it's not smack talk it's not pride it's not boasting it's highlighting the urgency of the situation it's not an early morning social jog to the tomb it would have been approximately one and a half kilometers to run and John maybe being younger and fitted just got there first but it wasn't fear that stopped him going into the tomb. I think it's actually he's waiting for a second eyewitness. So the accusation can't be made that someone's tampered with the scene, so to speak. But what actually really counts here in terms of belief? John arrives and he has a look. He, ha- he stoops and looks and he sees but he doesn't go in. He sees the linen cloths. He sees something. And then Peter turns up. Peter goes in. John follows. John sees and believes. Why only now? Why not the first time he had a look? Maybe in the original text, in the original language, the word for that first look and see is more like a glance. He just has a glancing look. And I could imagine in the poor lighting of the morning, the dark tomb, he, he obviously sees the linen wrappings, it says. But I think the reality of 75 pounds of spices as well, it would have been substance to those wrappings. And he's, he's had a quick look and gone... Cronky, he's still there. The, I think the body's still there. I'll wait till Peter gets here. It's a glancing look. The second word used for that second look is different than the glancing look. It's a word that depicts that he studied the scene. He really looked at it. He looked at everything. He looked at the linen cloth there and the, the head cloth there. He studied the scene, and he believed. What did he believe? Did he actually believe that Jesus was resurrected? Or did he just believe that Mary's story checks out? The body is actually gone. And personally, when I was uh, studying this, I, I really struggled to accept the fact that He saw and believed the risen Jesus. Simply because the very next verses that follow says that they didn't yet understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. And and then they just simply returned to their homes. They They didn't change. They didn't do anything different. It wasn't a transformative belief. They didn't go running back telling everybody, hey, the Lord is risen. They didn't comfort Mary on their way out who was crying at the tomb to say to her, don't be sad, Mary, don't cry, he's risen. I think what it shows us here is that it's, it's not necessarily one or the other. I think this is me, this is what I think we can see here is that it's a bit of both, it's a combination of the two. John obviously sees, because we believe that Jesus was resurrected. So, obviously, he did believe that the body was gone, but the wrappings were not. So, he's starting to think, he's starting to process. If someone was going to steal a body, why would they unwrap the body? Why would they leave the burial cloths? you just grab the body and run. John studied the scene. And we see that, I know that it says there that they didn't understand the scriptures that he must raise from the dead. But if you go back to John chapter 2 where Jesus is talking about the, the temple being destroyed and in three days he will raise it up again. Well, he was talking about his own body raising back to life, the temple of his own body. And uh, verse 22 says in chapter 2, So when he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. Can I suggest that John saw something really remarkable? Because when we think of the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, his body, his resurrected body is not like our body. It's not like the body of Lazarus who was raised to life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and Jesus said, come out of the tomb, Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb, still wrapped in his burial clothes. Is that, is that good? He waddles out, maybe he wormed out, I don't know. But the fact is, he was still in his burial clothes. But we see later on here that Jesus, he comes into a locked room. He just appears to the disciples. His body is not like Lazarus' resurrected body. So can I suggest that Jesus actually just passed through the materials. And having been wrapped with 75 pounds of spices, and if you read about what the spices were, they're mixed with oil and they're like tacky and sticky, they're not dry and crumbly, and Jesus coming straight through the clothes could have very, left, very well left like a cast of where Jesus had been. And John sees this and believes that Jesus is resurrected. But again, it's not transformative. It doesn't change him, but John, he starts to put the pieces together, but he's not yet prepared to own it, to run off and tell everyone else about it. It's not transformative. And we see that the, the transformation happens in the disciples in Acts chapter 2. So, Mary Magdalene, she's the first to see Jesus in the flesh, verses 11 to 18, and I absolutely love this first encounter. It's clear the level of grief and sadness in this situation of Mary on display, Have you ever tried, does anyone want to admit, have you ever tried to drive your car and cry at the same time? Who's ever tried to cry and drive? I mean, if it was outlawed, which it probably is, because you can't see what you're doing, the billboards would say, drive and cry, every tear over is a killer, you know? It's just just fraught with danger, fraught with danger. And here we see Mary in her state. She sees two angels and doesn't even react. But then she sees Jesus, she meets Jesus and supposes that he is the gardener. Who let Mary drive? She's in a real state here. But the beautiful scene is in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she responds with such life changing, transformative joy. Rabboni, teacher, my Lord, my everything, is what she's saying. And I can't help but think, my sheep hear my voice. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus calls us to respond. In addition to this experience, we see Thomas's experience, which is different. <clears throat> he refuses to believe anything that he's been told. There's a, there's a group of them with their testimony, and he refuses to believe. But Jesus, in His, great, in His grace and mercy... Reveals himself to Thomas despite his blind doubt. Jesus doesn't just say to him, look, he says, come, come, put your hand in my hand and your hand in my side. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. And yes, Jesus makes it very obvious that Thomas's belief is simply because he sees with his own eyes. He feels with his hands and he believes. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He actually reaches out to you this morning and he continues to say to Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. He said that for you. For us today, we can't see without faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the reality, it is the tangible assurance of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you have been saved by grace through faith, it is not anything of yourself, it is a gift of God. There is nothing that you can do to earn enough faith to believe. There's, not an, there's nothing, you can't conjure up enough faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't work hard enough to earn enough faith to believe that Jesus did in fact step in and took your place On the cross, you can't sacrifice enough. You can't be generous enough to earn enough faith, to be worthy of enough faith to believe that Jesus is resurrected and He lives. It is wholly and solely a gift from God. And that's why we praise Him. Verse 19, when it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, not not limited by the laws of nature, no, He came and He stood and He said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, He showed them His hands and His side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Jesus appeared to his disciples, and what an absolute blessing that would have been for them. He put to rest any level of doubt that they had as to whether he was in fact risen. What Jesus wants us to see here, the notable thing that he wants us to see is the thing that he says twice, peace be with you. Upon the birth of Jesus in those humble surrounds of a stable, the angels of heaven sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all he favours. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus, in those words, is highlighting the fact of what He has accomplished. What's the opposite of peace? We've got peace over here. What is the actual opposite to peace? War. Unrest. Conflict. Jesus is saying, peace be with you. He's saying, you were, or maybe you still are this morning, you were or are in direct conflict with God because of your sin. But because I, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, took the sin of the world, went to the cross, died rose again, defeating sin and death, making a way, putting an end to the hostility between man and God, ending the conflict if you choose to believe. Jesus continues on, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you believe, oh, sorry, if you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sin, they are retained. What is going on here? Well, the only possible way we can have transforming belief. Is, is when we genuinely respond to the call of Jesus and believe that our sins, in fact, separate us from the love of God. There's nothing you can do about it except believe that Jesus has done it for you. And at that moment, you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He's referred to as our helper. And from that point on, you will be able to fight your sin. You will hate your sin. And you will desire to live for Jesus. When everything seems to be at a loss, you will run to Jesus because He is your everything. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So it's obvious here that Jesus isn't literally Giving them the Holy Spirit. He's not giving them this God like ability to forgive sin or retain sin on people. It's obvious because there's no transformative change in the disciples. After Jesus had said this, They continued to live in fear. They continued to meet behind locked doors. Jesus is simply commissioning them here. He's saying to them, go, and when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to go and share the good news of the gospel. And you know what will happen when you do that? people will respond to the truth and their sins will be forgiven. And if you go and tell the good news of the gospel to the world, people will reject the truth. And guess what happens? Their sins are retained. They live in continued conflict with God. We don't see transformative change in the life of the disciples until they receive the Holy Spirit. And that happens in about 10 days' time. In Acts chapter 2, you can read for yourselves. But the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. They're meeting again together. There's a crowd of them, and they are transformed. All of a sudden, there's this boldness and zeal for the gospel. They go with boldness, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, despite the fact that it could kill them. The haters of Jesus, the antichrists, kill zealous Christians. And we see it continue through today's history. Countless Christians, day after day, die because of their faith in Jesus. I couldn't help but see my own journey here. I think that through this book of John, we see this process of what it looks like to believe. And it's different for everybody in terms of how somebody comes to faith. It's it's by the same means through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that journey of coming to true belief is different. And we see John, we see it in John. He comes and he looks and he sees the things and and the cogs start to turn, but he's not yet transformative belief. And then we see with Mary, Jesus calls her. We're called to Christ to respond to him. And then when we genuinely believe, we receive the Holy Spirit and we're commissioned to go and share the good news of the gospel. And so for me, I kind of relate to John's experience. When I was six years old, I gave my life to Jesus and, and it was through a tragic circumstance of somebody in the region passing away. He was tragically killed. And, and the thought that came to my mind is, what, was he a Christian? Did he go to heaven or did he go to hell? And I, I asked my mum and dad and, and they said, look, we, we can't be sure. It's not for us to say who goes to heaven or hell, but from what we could see of his life, He wasn't living for Jesus. He he wasn't proclaiming Jesus. So, probably a really good chance, unfortunately, that he's gone to hell. And that scared the life out of me. And I I wanted to be on Jesus' team. I wanted to know that I was going to heaven as a six-year-old and Dad talked me through the gospel and I gave my life to Jesus that night. And, and the next morning, I rang all my family members, telling them the good news that I'd given my life to Jesus. And everyone was happy for me. And, and even for a period of time at school, I was telling my friends that I was a Christian now. But as I got older, I started to, to slip It it kind of that six-year-old conversion, without a doubt, gave me a label that I was happy to say that I was a Christian. But as I got older, I became ashamed of that label. I wasn't bold. I wasn't willing to share it with people. And and then I started to fall into temptation and sin and, and drift away from God, drift away from that Belief. And so it wasn't until I was like 16, 15 or 16, so like 10 years later, I was at a youth rally, a Christian youth rally, and and the the speaker, I couldn't even tell you who it was, he just gave a faithful, powerful gospel presentation that absolutely wrecked me. (laughs) I saw my sin. And in that moment, I recommitted my life to Jesus. I said, sorry, Lord, for for failing, for not following you. I want to follow you. I want to own it. I don't want a belief that gives me a label. I want a belief that transforms my life. And in that moment... I can see now that that was my moment of transformation. Jesus gave me a peace. Jesus gave me a purpose then to live for his glory and share the good news about him. We serve a risen saviour. Has he transformed your life? Or is your belief one that just gives you a label? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you that you are so patient. Lord, that it's nothing that we can do to earn any sort of level of righteousness, but to believe that you've done it on our behalf. Lord, this morning, wreck us. Help us to see our sin. Help us to live a transformative belief in you not just walk with a label that has no change and in reality is just a form of unbelief. Change our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen.